Good morning, guys. Good morning. Well, again, just like as Kyle said, I want to reiterate, thank you guys so much for being here. Um, there's so many other places that you could be, right? We know that preseason football is coming back. Um, you could be with your family at Target spending more money than you should. Um, you could be at home stuffing your face with donuts, but the Lord has brought you here for a reason, right? So I'm super, super excited uh, to be able to see you guys. And for you guys that have not um, had the opportunity to meet me yet, again, my name is Simon. I am 35 years old. I am currently a husband to a beautiful wife. I am a father to two beautiful children. Um, and I will be pastoring a church in which we're looking to plant in, um, over the next 12 months in uh, probably early 2020 in Lynn, right? So we're definitely going to need a lot of prayers uh, there, right? Um, one thing I really truly believe in before we really get started is, uh, you know, the, really the, the strong idea of prayer, right? That, that people that pray together stay together, amen? So I know that Angela just got done praying, and I know that Kyle just got done praying, but listen, there's no other way or no greater way to be able to encapsulate the entire sermon in prayer, Right? So I just want to go in prayer one more time. So let's just pray together, okay? Uh, Dear Father, Lord, I thank you, God. I know that you have so many things that you want to share with us, uh, so many things that you really want to implant into our hearts. Uh, Lord Father, and we are here. Uh, our hearts are open and absorbent to you, Lord Father. Please send your spirit. Fill our cups today with your grace and mercy so that as we walk out here today that we can grasp on the message you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we're really going to be, you know, be burying ourselves in Scripture, Right? Um, and we're going to be focusing on Philippians 3. Now, before we get there, though, I wanted to share a story with you guys uh, that was re- is really dear to my heart, right? Uh, for a lot of you guys that don't know me, I'm Cambodian, right? Um, and our Cambodian people has gone through a really rough history, right? So I just want to share with you a little bit of the things that we as Cambodians went through um, in Cambodia, right? Um, so in the late 70s and early 80s, there was this huge war going on. Um, There was, you know, the government, which is the Khmer Republic Army, um, and then there was a communist party led by a a, a communist, his name is Pol Pot, and he brought the communist party called the Khmer Rouge regime into Cambodia to overthrow the government and take over Cambodia. Now, the reason why they wanted to do that is because they wanted to create a, 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 a country with no class. So what they were literally doing is they were going and murdering their own people. They will find anybody that was educated. They will find anybody of high stature, anybody that worked for the government, and they literally would kill you. So they were killing their own people. Thousands, up to millions of people were being killed. I was given the blessed opportunity to speak to an individual who happened to be a general at, for the Khmer Republic Army. He was, the one on the, he was on the side that was fighting against the Communist Party, right? And he's a decorated general. He's been doing it for many years, and he shared a story with me that shook me to my core, Right? One day he was at his post, you know, doing his job, doing his duties, and at the end of his post, he was getting ready to go home. So he takes the five-mile walk, right, through the countryside all the way home. He was living at his parents that were living in a grass-stilted hut. Soon as he got there, he went inside of the hut, and he realized everything was completely ransacked. Everything was flipped upside down. Not only that, a lot of his personal belongings were completely gone. Obviously, Cambodia being a third world country, you don't have much to start with. So to see your items being destroyed and missing, that's one of the worst things to witness in in, in your entire life. So at this point, his main concern was, I could care less about how the hut looks. I could care less about how the house looks. Where are my parents? So he's looking around, and he goes outside, and as soon as he steps a foot on the ground in a dirt road in front of his house, he sees his neighbor who lives in, in the grass hut, you know, uh, probably half a mile down, and see them running towards him. So as soon as he saw the, the pace in which this individual was running towards him, he said, 
this something is not right. As soon as the neighbor reached him, the neighbor said this, the Khmer Rouge regime came looking for you. At this time, Sukun was probably the third or the fourth person on their hit list to kill because he, he was high ranked. They came looking for you. They couldn't find you. But they found your dog tag, so they knew that you were in the right place. So they brought his parents out into the dirt road and asked them the question, where is your son? And of course, they're not going to give up his location, right? That's his son. They, they didn't want any harm to, to, to come his way. So because they were unwilling to give up that information, Khmer Rouge regime army pulled out a gun, shot both of them in the head. They picked up their bodies, threw them right into a wagon, and the wagon just dragged their body right down the dirt road. So Kun completely broke down. Not only was his house completely ransacked, he just lost his parents. He was married at the time, so his mind now is like, where is my wife? Praise God when, uh, that his wife at the time was taking a walk, was not home. So imagine if she was home. She probably would have been executed alongside uh, her, her parents. She wasn't home, and now at this point, his wife was at the neighbor's house, sitting down crying, grieving that she just lost her in-laws. And from there, he knew it. You know what? This is it. I do not want nothing to do with this. I've been in the army. I've been fighting these people for so many years. I need to get out of here. So he grabbed anything that he could find, put it in a knapsack, grabbed his hand of his wife and said, we got to go. So they went into the jungle, and they walked for three days to, through the jungle just to get to the Thailand border to reach a refugee camp there where they can, where they can find refuge. And the, the, the three-day trek in the desert, it wasn't, um, the, the, in the jungle, was not easy either. There was times where he was telling me where he, he could see the army coming down the road and they were hiding in the ditches, right? And what's the thing with the ditches, we're not talking about regular dirt ditches. They were lying in ditches where there was already dead bodies there. They were lying on top of the dead bodies, not breathing and pretending that they were dead, just in order for the, the Khmer Rouge army to, to go right past them so they can get up and, and go on their way. That was their journey. And then I had a conversation with him. I told him, I was like, I cannot imagine the loss. I cannot imagine the things that were going in your mind. If I were going through that, I would want to get out too. I wouldn't want me and my family to die. Then he said something to me that shook me. He said, the reason why we left was not because we were afraid to die. The reason why we left was because we were, not, we were afraid of not having life. I'm going to say it again. We were not afraid of dying. We were afraid of not having life. Now, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but if you ask me, that sounds like the same thing, don't it? If you, if you die in, that means you ain't got life. Or if you ain't got life, that means you're dead. I'm, I'm not a smart person, but that's what, that's what I think in my mind, right? So I needed that sense of clarity. Oh, he clarifies it. He sure does. But I'm going to pause the story there, and we're going to continue the story later on in the sermon. So I want you guys to stay tuned to that. He's going to share with us exactly what he meant by that. So as I said earlier, we're going to be studying today the book of Philippians. Right? So if you have your boogies, books, um, your Bible's handy with you, let's open it up together, the book of Philippians. I'll give you a quick background. So at this, Paul, at this point, Paul is writing right, to the people from jail. Right? And he's letting them know, yes, I'm going through a bunch of sufferings in jail, but I'm willing to do, I'm go through these sufferings for Christ's sake. Right? And he writes the letters to them. And at the very beginning of Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 2, he starts off with a, with a really strong warning. From the get-go, he says, listen, you got to watch out for these evildoers. you got to watch out for these dogs. So what is he talking about there? What he was talking about was as Paul was going around preaching the good news, right, there were people literally following him. And the people that were following him were the Pharisees. 
were the Judaizers. So as Paul started to give the good news in the message, they would literally come behind him and add on it, right? Paul was telling them, okay, it's by faith and grace that, 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 that in Christ that you are uh, reaching salvation, right? That's the equation, grace and faith, salvation. But then the Pharisees would come behind him and, and, and whisper in people's ears, yeah, he, the faith is good, the uh, grace is good, but it's also by your works. It's also by your works. Do not forget about the, the Judaic laws. Follow those so you can be blameless and you can find salvation through that. So at this point, Paul is referencing them, right? We want to read today. We're going to start off in verses 4. So if you guys want to follow with us, okay? In verse 4, it says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks, that, um, thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So remember, he's talking to these Pharisees who, you know, have that long resume of, of doing really good things, doing the works of, the, of, uh, of being Jewish, right? So he's referencing them. If anybody has a reason to be confident or if he's being boastful in things that they've done or based on their resume, it's me. It's Paul. I've done it all, right? In, in verses 5, he goes on and lets them know exactly what he did. In verse 5, he says, circumcised on the eighth day, which he references in, in Leviticus. Anybody that's Jewish um, uh, is supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day. Then he says that I'm the people of Israel, right, the chosen uh, people. Uh, I'm the tribe of Benjamin, and a tribe of Benjamin was a big tribe, which that leads to the very first king, which is Saul, right? And he goes, on the, I'm the Hebrews of Hebrews. So listen, I'm as Jew as you can get. Like, if you looked up Jew in the dictionary, it would be a face of Paul. Like, this is the man. He is the man. But after spitting out all those great things in the resume, he says something later on that's super powerful, right? We'll, we'll keep reading. Um, and verses 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, right? And in verses 7, he completely flips the script. In verses 7, he says, but whatever gains I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. So he just got done telling me his entire resume, his, his character, who he is, what he's done, only just to say in verse 7 that all those things that we are considering gains, I will consider loss. But I'll only do that for the sake of Christ. Now, if you were to ask yourself the questions, right, what are some of our accolades, right? What are some of the things that we have in our resume that help identify who we are, right? Because if you really think over those things, are those some of the things that you are willing to count as loss? And a lot of us would probably say no to that. You know, the reason being is because a lot of the things that we do or have done help identify who we are. And it's hard to give up our identity. Like if you ask me, who's Simon? Oh, Simon's uh, the, 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 the lead church planner guy. Who's Simon? Oh, Simon, um, um, he's Popea's husband. Who's Simon? Oh, si oh, he's the pastor. We say those things. So the things that we've done and the things that we've accomplished help identify who we are. So that makes it even harder for us to give those things up. But Paul says it clearly, like all those things that you think are gains for the sake of Christ, you got to count them as loss. you got to count them as loss. Those, the things that we don't sacrifice, right? It, like the idea of sacrifice itself is, is hard, right? The definition of sacrifice is what? You, you know, your willingness to give up what's valuable to you in order to obtain something of greater value. So the only way that we are willing to sacrifice right, is knowing that what we receive is greater. But the problem that we have is that we feel that what we have, what we've accomplished, is the greatest. That's the problem, is when we start putting our accolades far beyond our relationship with Christ. And he expounds into this in verses 8. It says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So if you think that the things that you have, these gains, are great, they're great until you compare it to something greater. These things that are awesome are awesome until you compare it to something that's perfect. And here's the question. There's surpassing worth of knowing Christ. If that value isn't the greatest, then you have to question your relationship with Christ. It's, you have to question relationship. Your intimacy with Christ is what continues to build, or at least the revelation of the value in your in, in Christ. Now I'm going to give you a, like I'm going to give you an illustration. I was in fifth grade, right? And there was a time where they were like, "Okay, you're about to go on a field trip." They gave us a permission slip and everything, right? And they said, "You have to pack your own lunch because the school doesn't have money to, to pack a whole bunch of lunch to bring it with you." All right. Now, for you, all you guys out there that are Asian, right? I see you do I see a couple of Asian people out there, right? When we hear the words "pack your own lunch," that's probably the worst thing that you can tell me, right? Because we don't pack the normal lunch that normal people. Bologna sandwiches don't exist. Ham and cheese sandwiches don't exist, right? When you tell Asian parents to pack a lunch, you're about to get something real weird, right? <laughs> so at this point, I I went up to my mom and I had to whisper. I was like, "We gotta pack a lunch," and she was like, "Okay." And that night before, I prayed heavily. I'm like, oh, we're, we're about to get something really stinky, right? This is about to be bad. I'm about to get kicked off the school bus. So I prayed, and the very next morning, she hands me my lunch. And here's the, what's worse. We don't got regular Tupperwares at my house. She gave me a, my lunch inside. You know those, when you go to Market Basket or you go to Shaw's, and you buy ice cream, and you want to save money, you don't want to buy the name brand, you want to buy ice cream in the tub, you get that little clear tub of ice cream, that gallon tub or the half-gallon tub, so that you can feed as many people for $2? She handed me a tub and said, this is your lunch. The tub couldn't even fit in my book bag. I was walking around, the tub was like hitting my, my legs as I was walking. And at that point, I was like, okay, it's bad enough I'm carrying a, a, a tub. It still said strawberry ice cream in the front of it, by the way. And I'm like, I don't even want to open this. You know what, I'll, let's, let's do the surprise thing. I'm going to wait until we get to the park. I'll peek open there and see what's inside, right? At this whole time, I'm panicking, I'm sweating. So we got to the zoo. The zoo was in the hood, so there was only a penguin and one peacock. But that's a whole other story. I had a rough childhood. Don't, don't, don't judge me. All right? So at this point, it's lunchtime. Oh, here we go. Countdown. I crack it open, and guess what was inside? Rice porridge and salted stinky fish. Who here has had that before? Anybody has had that before? Oh, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you, brother. I'm sorry. That is rough. It is rough. And guess what? I slapped it closed. My best friend was sitting next to me. His name was Richard, right? He pulls out of his knapsack. Oh, man, he's so cocky. He pulls out his knapsack, the holy grail of lunches, right? He pulled out a Lunchable. Remember those Lunchables? And at the fifth grade, Lunchables was the best thing in the world. And not only that, he had, he had the pizza Lunchable. He had the good stuff. So before he saw what was in my bucket, I said, hey, Richard, I know we're boys. Let's make a deal. I got a whole gallon of food, right? You can eat all day. You can feed your family at home. I'll give it to you if you give me the Lunchable. And he was like, you know, that looks like a lot. It's a lot of food. I am hungry. He's like, L-. and then he asked me the one question I didn't want to answer. What's inside the bucket? He didn't say Tupperware. He said bucket because legitly it was a bucket. So I popped it open. He looked inside, and he sees the big old piece of stinky fish sitting on type of rice porridge. And he said, no. Anybody in their right mind would have said no. 
right? And the reason why I'm telling this story is this. Sometimes we try to make the deals in which we can gain the most without losing the least. So for me, in my mind, it's like, I'm going to try to plan him. I, I, I'll give him the quantity of food so he can give me this little Lunchable, not, not give him the quality of food. And a lot of times in our life, we run into that very same situation where we're constantly trying to make deals with God when he's telling me, listen, I'm going to give you something dope. I'm about to give you righteousness, imputed righteousness, right? All you got to do is give me your sin. We look at that we're like, yo, that's a really, really good deal. The problem with that is that when we sit in that, that deal, we don't own up to that end of the bargain. You know what we do? We're like, you know what? Yes, I will take that. I will take your righteousness. But you know what? I'm going to keep some sin in my back pocket because it's easier for me to live in sin than it is to live in righteousness. How many of us is not living up to that bargain, that deal? That's not part of the deal. It doesn't say nothing in the fine print where I got to keep something. No. If you want to gain Christ, you got to give up. If you want to live in Christ, you have to give up everything that you think you are, your identity, right? Which Paul writes here clearly. All your accolades, all gone, all rubbish for the sake of Christ. The, listen, and the more you overvalue who you are and what you've done, the more you undervalue who he is and what he's done. I'm going to say it again. The more you overvalue who you are and what you've done, the more you undervalue who you are, um, who, who he is and what he's done. Because guess what? You can't have both. You can't build yourself as, a, as this awesome individual and then say God is an awesome individual. Listen, you can't, you, can't, you can't have two masters. Which one is it? All glory to God all the time. Right? That's super, super important. That's what Paul was trying to get here. Now, let's open up to Matthew chapter 13. I want to read a parable with you guys. Right? Matthew 13, verses 44. In Matthew 13, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then he covered up. Then in his joy, he sells all that he has and buys that field. So let me get this right. He finds the treasure in the field. He hides it and covers and buries it. Sells all his stuff so only he could buy, so he could buy the field so he can rightfully own the treasure. Now, in our mind, I was like, that's not what I would have done. If I'm in a field and I find treasure, my first mindset is not to bury the treasure. My first mindset is, who has a pickup truck that I can call so I can load this treasure, get it out of here before whoever owns the field finds out? And the reason why we think that way is because of this. We want to be able to gain as much without losing anything at all. So with this man, he said he sold everything that he had in order for him to purchase the field that the treasure was on. So he lost everything just to gain the treasure. But in our mind, oh, man, if I could keep the treasure and keep everything that I had, that's a win-win deal. That's our mind. But guess what? He did the noble thing, right? He knew the worth of that treasure, and he was willing to count everything that he had as lost in order to rightfully gain that. So we spoke about earlier about the idea of righteousness as well in that, in that crucifixion when the Lord makes that deal with us. Man, we try to cheat. I don't want to give up all that I have in, in my sin in order to get this righteousness. I want to be able to gain as much without losing as much. Let's continue reading in uh, verses 9, right? Verses 9, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but, but, but that co which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So right there, we're talking about the idea of righteousness. You know, Michael spoke about it two or three weeks ago, the idea of double imputation. Take my imputed sin, you give me Christ's righteousness. And that sounds like a heck of a deal, right? Now, there's a difference between knowing him or knowing of him and knowing him, right? Because anybody can say, listen, if I tell you right now, do you know who Tom Brady is? Everybody's going to say yes. The greatest quarterback of all time. 
Amen to that. Amen, right? Yeah, that's right. Amen. But if I told you, do you know, do you know Tom Brady? That's a different question. First question was, do you know who Tom Brady is? Yes. Do you know Tom Brady? No, I don't know him. I mean, I would like to be best friends with him, but I don't know him. That's the situation we're running into now. Do you know who Christ is? Yes. Do you know him? A lot of us will answer yes, but do you really? Right? Knowing somebody is willing to build your relationship right through conversation and prayer, through study and devotion. Do you know Jesus? I'm not asking you, do you know of Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Building that intimacy with him is what's going to clarify your entire life, right? Now, this is, like, there's something that's written in John chapter 4, which is really awesome, right? It said what? Um, I'm sorry, it's John chapter 14. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? So the key here is what? Is that in, you have to know Jesus, right? You, you have to know um, the, the statement, know his life, right, in order for you to know that he is life. Don't simply just know his life, right? Know that he is life. Everything revolves around that idea that Jesus is life. If you, can, if you can sit in that special pocket, right, where that intimacy of God really leads you there, that's the key to it all, right, being able to build that, right? And, and, and now here's the hard part. You ready for the hard part? When we get into verses 10, he says something that, that really triggers me, that at least makes me feel uncomfortable, right? It says that, that I may know him, know him, we just spoke about that, the power of his resurrection, right? And what's the power of his resurrection? The power of his resurrection is the fact that there is hope in him. That the fact that, that that's that very turning point when he re, he's resurrecting, we say, yo, this Jesus character is the real deal. If he's able to resurrect from the dead, he's just not a regular guy. This is God, right? And that hope in the resurrection also brings what? That justification for us, right? So there's a lot of power in that resurrection. But then he says something even more crazy. He says, may I sh- that I may share in his suffering. <laughs> Listen, any, anything that deals with suffering, I don't want nothing to do with Right? We want our life to be as smooth sailing as possible, so we're asked to suffer. That is a lot to ask of us. And the, reason, and the reason being is because, again, it comes from an idea of sacrificing and losing and gaining. Right? But the, here's the crazy thing, that two aspects of suffering I want you to keep in mind. Right? When Paul wrote about it in the book of Philippians, he said it in multiple times. I am suffering, but I'm willing to do it for the sake of Christ. I'm willing to do it for your sake. Right? We see this idea of forsake over and over again. But not only that, he says what? And even in suffering, I find joy in suffering. Okay, so now it's hard enough for me, for, for you to ask me to suffer. Now you want me to find joy in suffering? That doesn't make any sense. Like, how can I find joy in suffering? If I found joy in it, it wouldn't be suffering. But the reason being is because, listen, if we understand what we're truly deserving of, then we will realize what we're given now is really not that bad. If we understand what we're truly deserving of as sinful people, then the sufferings that we're going through now, especially in the state of Christ, is really not that bad. And the crazy thing is that it's in that midst of that suffering and that vulnerability of suffering that allows you to see the power of God even more clear, right? We see a lot of times, like, in the, t- in the times of, of thankfulness and of happiness, a lot of people don't take the time to thank God for that. But when, somebody, when, when you're going through a, some kind of large grief in your life, some struggle, you're like, oh, man, I, I need all help, all hands on deck. And then all of a sudden we go into prayer, so a lot of people are willing to seek God more often in the midst of that struggle, right? So that suffering can help you clarify that the Lord, his provision of the Lord, the love of the Lord is more dominant in your life than you may think, right? So in this idea of suffering, I want to finish off with that story that we're talking about. Remember that story of Sakun, right? So when he travels for three days in the jungle with his wife, 
He finally reaches Thailand, a refugee uh, camp in Thailand. Within two days of him reaching that refugee camp, you know what happens? His wife gives birth to their first child. So in the jungle for three days when they were moving, she was eight months pregnant. She was pregnant for three days. And once they crossed over, she, the, their first child was born. Well, Sakun's last name is Sim. My last name is Sim. This is the story of how my parents left Cambodia. This is the story of how my parents escaped the, the, the war to go to Thailand. Once he reached over in Thailand, he gave his life to Christ three days after my sister was born. Now, I asked him, I was like, so can you clarify me that very statement? Remember when he said, I'm not afraid of dying, I'm afraid of not having life. Well, he clarified it all well. He said, I don't care that I die. I don't even care that if my wife dies at this point. I just may have to make sure that my daughter has life. That's my concern. Nothing else matters but the life of my daughter at this very point. So he was willing to die. And the reason why I want to bring up that story is that do we ever feel that way? Like what's most important to us? Is, are, are we struggling with the idea of dying? Or should we be struggling with the idea of not having life in Christ? Because for his sake, we should be willing to give it all up. For his sake, we should be willing to give up. And guess what? We just talked about suffering. When my dad came to America, I was born in the Philippines. He had to go to the Philippines for a year just to learn ESL. They gave him asylum in the U.S., came over to the U.S. when I was two months old, right? Once he reached here, the first thing he wanted to do is, like, I want to be embedded into a church, right? We were in Connecticut. We got plugged into a Cambodian church there. He met the elders team where she joined the elders board, right? And sitting across from the table, he recognized this, this individual sitting across from him. And he could not figure out who this guy was, but he recognizes him. Like, I know this guy from somewhere. So he prayed on it for about three months. Like, who is this guy across the table from me? And then after three months of prayer, he recognized him. The person sitting across from him was a soldier on the communist Khmer regime party, the Khmer Rouge. So sitting across from him was the enemy. Sitting across from him was the guy that represented death and murder and a genocide of millions of people in Cambodia. So what is he supposed to do at this point? What is he supposed to do at this point? And then my father said to me, listen, God has brought me out of Cambodia. He has brought me to the U.S. He brought me to this table. He's brought me to this church. And I am willing to go through any suffering for the sake of the kingdom. I am willing to go through any suffering for the sake of the kingdom. That's powerful. When are we going to get to our life where we can say, I am willing to give up everything for the sake of the kingdom, for his name, for the gain of Christ. That was written in, in verses 9. When can we get to do that? Listen, you're not going to be able to do that if, you can't build your, if you're not building that, that relationship with Christ. Know him so that you can accept him and know that he is life. That suffering is nothing compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing who Christ is. Count all those things as rubbish. Now, I want to give you guys a challenge today, right? Is Christ big enough, great enough, worthy enough for you to count all your gains as loss? Is Christ big enough, great enough, worthy enough for you to count all gains as loss? Because remember, you can compare good things to great things. But right now, you're comparing good things to perfect things. Repeatedly, Paul says it, like, for the sake of, for the sake of, for the sake of. We need to get in that practice every day of our life. Every decision that you make, right, you have to ask your question, what is it for the sake of? Is it for my sake or is it the sake of my kids, the sake of my parents, or is it, or is it the sake of Christ? Is it for the sake of the kingdom? It's okay to say I'm going to work hard for the sake of my kids, but I'm going to say I'm going to work hard for the sake of my kids because God loved me first, so I have to love them second. 
a lot of times we try to fit God into our life, but guess what? God's too big for that. How does your life fit into the hands of God? That's where we go wrong. We think that God, we can put him in a box and we can plug him in anywhere we, we, we see necessary. But God is too big for that. God is too big for that. Now, I'm going to give uh, you, you a lot of college students here, right? I'm about to give you some homework. And you guys are going to be mad at me. But listen, I challenge you, right? When you get home at some point this week, I want you to open up to Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. And I want you to read that. I really want you to bury yourself into that. If you have a small group, if you have a discussion, or even our staff here at Genesis would love to hear the story of what you got from that passage. Because Paul over here talks about, okay, your gains and all the resumes and all the, the cool things you got, the accolades, those are counted as lost. But man, in Matthews, it's something, something even stronger, right? Jesus was predicting his death to the disciples, and he goes, whoever wants to gain his life must lose it. And who's ever willing to lose his life for my sake will gain it. That's going to be one of the most confusing passages ever, but I really want you to bury that in be yourself in that. See how the Lord takes you, takes you from there. How is it that you can gain life, right?